just simply put, I mean, how does this team go forward after a, after a defeat you like You have this? no choice but to go forward. That's life. This ain't the only thing that's going on in life. I mean, all you guys are dealing with something. You're still moving. You're still progressing. You're still going forward. We got to do the same darn thing. We didn't expect that. There's a lot of things that goes on in life that's unexpected, and this is one of them. We got to knuckle up and let's go. We can't sit down and have no pity party. Y'all don't feel bad for us. Some of y'all are ecstatic about what transpired today, and I know that. But that's cool. We're going to take this one on the chin because we deserve it. Um, 29, I, I, I've never been in one of these types. I, I don't remember, a, a, I, from, from youth on, I don't remember being up 29 nothing and losing a football game. I really don't. This is, this is a little tough for me, and I'm trying my best. And I thank you all for your patience, and I thank you for your, your heart because this is really tough for me. But you can see when I'm amping up and I kind of see this stuff coming, you can see why I go at it like I go at it because I could feel my team. I could feel what's about to transpire, and here we go. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, and excited to not only catch up with William Gardner, our football analyst, but also to introduce Matt Smith from 104.3 The Fan. Matt, uh, thanks for joining us on the pod. We've had some great discussions prior to press conferences this year. We were next to each other in a couple of press conference settings this year. And uh, curious to, to get your thoughts on the Buffaloes. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm a fan of what you've done. And obviously, Adam, you and I have known each other for years and years and years now. Gosh, was it 12 years now, Adam? So for me, it's Sounds been... Right. Uh, so for me, it's a it's a pleasure to get to join you on here. And like I said, I've been following along, obviously, with you guys and covering the team the whole year. And I can't wait to break this down because we got a lot a lot to get to here today, gentlemen, a lot to get to with this team. Yeah, we've got a lot of awards to go through. And I first just want to get your general thoughts and feelings about where Colorado football is during the bye week. What have we learned and where do you feel like we're headed? William, let's start with you and then we'll go to Matt. Well, you know, I think it's a, a question that's got a couple of different aspects to it because where where are we headed? Well, are you talking to short term this particular season or are we talking in, in a larger sense? I think uh, what we've learned is that it's a, a little it's a little bit. Well, I was going to say it was a little bit harder to turn things around, but we've turned things around almost entirely. And then I think we got ahead of ourselves a little bit in those first three weeks. And now we've kind of brought come back to a little bit of reality, you know. Uh, Adam and I both predicted six and six before the season. And, and, you know, that's still firmly within our grasp. Um, I think when we got to three and oh, we were all thinking uh, a lot bigger than that. But uh, in terms of reality of, I think we're seeing a little bit, the difficulty of taking 80 new guys and putting them together as a team, because I think some of the problems we're seeing on this team come down to the continuity and, and, and things of that nature. But I think overall, you know, the, the larger, uh, picture is really bright you know with the uh commitment of Antoine Hill I mean the future of this program looks fantastic so I think in a larger sense everything looks great you know I think we're still those those six or seven dogs away from from being a eight to ten win team I think most of those guys would be on the two lines and 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 maybe an outside pass rusher but uh I think what we've learned is that uh, uh, Deion Sanders is a special human being. That's, that's what I've learned. And I'm not just talking about as a football coach. So um, I think that uh, it's been an exciting, it's been an exciting season so far. And I think there's a lot more left to come. Look, yeah, well said, William. I, 
I didn't know what to expect, quite frankly, when he got hired. I just knew it was going to be special, right? I knew there was something about this that was going to bring this program, at least breathe life back into it. I didn't know if it was necessarily going to bring life back to the program, but he did that almost instantaneously. And from that, I, you know, I always call it, people call it the opening press conference. I call it the opening press rally because it was media and a whole bunch of donors and fans and the vi- environment in there was so unique to me, it was unlike anything. And I've covered, you know, professional sports at every professional sport at every level. So for me, it was it was very unique. And it was in that moment that I said, OK, things are just going to be different here from the moment that he announced Shadur as quarterback and kind of broke convention in a lot of ways. But it was so necessary. We've needed that in Boulder. And more than anything, as we've, remo- you know, moved further and further away from that time, you realize and you sit here and you go, no one else could have done this, right? No one else could have done this. The, not, I don't even believe some of the best coaches in the country could have come in and done this. And, I, you know, there, there's what he's done on the football field and with the team. And then there's the cultural movement aspect to this that I, I didn't know was really coming until after yeah. the TCU game. And when we were huddled, Adam, in that corner of the hallway, doing the post-game presser at TCU, I sat there thinking to myself, and you and I were on opposite sides, right? You and Brian were sitting on the other side, and I was kind of standing up. I had never seen a bigger collection of like national college football writers ever in one room. And maybe that's just because I haven't covered it maybe nationally ever before. But for me, it was, wow, okay, there's Stuart Mandel and Adam Rittenberger, and there's Ed Werder, and, and it's like, okay, this is about to be something right now. And as we move further and further away, it just took on a life of its own, really culminating in Coach Prime being on the cover of Time magazine. So from a 30,000 foot view, unbelievable turnaround, you know, kind of more micro look at things. They've got some things to work on, certainly, and they've got five games here the rest of the way this season for this season to do it. But I think more than anything, I came into the year four to five wins. And you guys have to understand. I'm not, you know, Buff Stampede Radio. I'm on 104.3 The Fan. So if I come out and go, hey, the Buffs are going to go seven and eight, you know, seven, win, seven, eight win team, everybody's going, oh, that homer, and they're never going to listen to what I said. So I honestly tried to set expectations lower. What I said was four to five wins to me is a wildly successful season. Anything less, maybe somebody got hurt or maybe it was a bit of a disappointment. Anything more is gravy. So to me, at four and three, They've already accomplished what they've needed to. So from here on out, to, in my opinion, everything really is gravy. Now, it'd be great because the field goal posts have since moved since the season started. But at the same time, everything was always about next year anyway. So in year one, there have been some bumps in the road, but those were to be expected. And I think it's unfortunate what happened against Stanford because it would have set them into the bye week with the exact narrative that they wanted. But now they're sitting at four and three and maybe a wake up call that, Hey, look, you know, this thing is just going to take a little bit more time than maybe some people would have hoped. Those are great points that you both made. And it is interesting how expectation expectations have changed week to week with this football team based on week to week results. I think if you look back and you really just took the first seven games in total they probably played to the level of a four and three team, right? You know, there were, there were certain circumstances where they got maybe a little bit lucky and certainly in the second half against Stanford, AU Mayner, I mean, just turned into the best receiver in the country uh, out of nowhere. And so there's, there's kind of both sides of that, but uh, this is kind of where I expected them to be. Now the overall attention that's come on Colorado, even after that initial press conference, 
it still shocked me how many eyeballs have been on Colorado. Today's episode is brought to us by Macaulay Capital Fractional CFO Services. Is your business looking for financial guidance and support, but not yet big enough to hire a full-time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hiring a fractional CFO who can work with your business on a part-time basis. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. And here's the best part. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with us. For more information or to set up a meeting, please visit MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. It's crazy to have this optimistic view of things after what happened against Stanford, but <laughs> yeah, Matt, I what, what what did your expectations change after the TCU game? Though you said four to five to go into the season, yeah, I would imagine me, you saw this as a bowl team after that that Saturday. Yeah, definitely, I did because I think at least at the beginning of the year you looked at Arizona State and Arizona as very winnable games, and then maybe you get lucky and win one you're not supposed to here coming down the stretch. But also at the beginning of the year, you didn't know what UCLA was going to be with a freshman quarterback. You knew they had a good defense. You know what? what what's the story with Utah and Cam Rising? Is he going to come back healthy? What's he going to look like? Right? DJ Ungalele kind of had question marks heading into the year at Oregon State, and they have kind of steadily kept the ship moving up there and they're close to the top 10 now so yeah I unfortunately you blew the one at Stanford and now it kind of puts you in a position where you might have to win two that you're not favored to win but more than anything Adam this team because of the great equalizer in college football being the quarterback they have a chance because they have one of the best in the country and that to me I think has been another pleasant surprise right Shadur coming into the year I knew was a good player I knew could make every throw my test of a good college quarterback is can you sit on the opposite hash and fire a dart on the 15 yard out to the opposite sideline and put it to him right there and he can do it on a line Cepho even you know was a great player, but even by senior year struggled with that throw. Right. And and that's just a different level of arm talent, but he's accurate, man. And so when you have that type of player, I think it gives you a chance just about every single Saturday you play. But I think when, but I think, I think, you, you, you know, that's not the, that's not the quarterback that Shador is. He's not the arm talent guy, although he does have that. What he has is the calmness and the leadership and the fact that he never gets frazzled and he sees the field and he sees the defense and he finds the right guy and he makes those receivers look good. Even though a lot of them are good to begin with. Um, it's not necessarily his arm. That's going to make him a lot of right. money in the game. It, right. it's, it's up here that makes a great quarterback. You look at the Elways and you look at the Peyton Mannings and whatever, a lot of guys got an arm, but they ain't got nothing up here. Right. Well, he's kind of the total package is kind of is right. kind of how I see right. him, which is why right. his his prospects for the NFL level. I am really, really bullish on what he can do. Really, very right. much so. So we sit here there four and three with five games left, four against ranked opponents. William, how important do you think it is to get into bowl eligibility in terms of upgrading the talent? Now, we know that Coach Prime is going to upgrade the talent via the portal and they're going to have a nice high school class. It's going to be more quality of over quantity in terms of the high school guys they bring in. But if you win six games and you're on ESPN and you're on these shows and they're talking about Colorado going to a bowl game all December and they, you know, put up crazy ridiculous ratings during that bowl game, 
how much of a push does that give this program to add more talent through the portal versus if you go five and seven and don't have that extra bit of trajectory that that it is propelling you into 2024? Well, I think it, I think it helps obviously to be winning on a regular basis to a bowl game. You know, in terms of developing the program, that extra four weeks of practices in that game is huge. But here's the thing: great recruiters don't need to win to recruit. Okay, and 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 Coach Prime is going to go out and tell kids if we're not winning those games, he's going to say you will be the one that makes the difference. If we are winning those games, he goes out and tells them you get to come in and you're going to make us a championship level team from this point forward. I think it. I think it would be a huge letdown and a disappointment if they go 0-5. I don't think that's going to happen because that's not who Deion Sanders is. They're going to find a way to win a couple. I still think they're going to get that bowl eligibility, but certainly it improves your recruiting a great deal. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, does it matter in the long-term trajectory whether they get bowl eligibility this year or not? I really don't think it does. As Matt said before, you know, the expectation coming into this season was three wins. We've already beat that. What they need to show down the stretch is that they're competitive and not have uh, meltdowns like Stanford and not have blowouts like Oregon. But I really believe they're going to find a couple of those wins. And, and, you know, the five teams we got left, none of them has established themselves as a sure thing yet. Oregon State's getting close, but there are question marks about every one of these teams. And every one of them on any given given day can be and can be beat by CU. So I think the recruiting, you know, Antoine Hill is exhibit number one is going to be great no matter what happens, because uh, Deion Sanders has the ability to make the argument to those players either way. I do think there's some transfer portal guys, though, if you look at Jordan Dominic coming in, Zay Weaver this last year. If you're Colorado and you go to a bowl game, you can tell transfers that only have a year left of eligibility that we're not that far away in terms of, I mean, now the college football playoffs going to 12 teams. So you just need to get into that that sphere to have a chance at things. I feel like for the transfers, it matters more if they get into a bowl game as a high school kid that knows he's going to have time to develop and sees a long-term future. I don't know. Well, I, that's where that's where I see the bowl game making more of an impact is with the transfer guys. Yeah, to me, it's it's more staving off what William said, not going 0-5, right, and not ending the year with negative momentum. It's more about, hey, proving that that Stanford you know game was an aberration and we can move past that against some better competition. Because if you, if you do find a way to make a bowl game, that means you beat two teams you probably weren't supposed to, right? And if you do that, then I think you you have a little bit more national redemption. Because it's college football, guys. There's there's bumps in the road. You know, people expect it's the first year coming off a 1 and 11 season coming off of years and years and years of being in the mud. This program it, it's not always going to look pretty, and certainly that one was really rough to have the biggest blown lead in school history. It's tough to make any excuses for that, and I think more than anything that's a wake up to the coaching staff, and we can get into some of that but William brought up Antoine Hill and obviously since you are you know our recruiting guru here around campus Adam I wondered what your take on Antoine Hill committing was we got a film room feature on Antoine Hill up and so folks should go check that out no, oh, okay it just from well, it's, a, already, it's already out so you can you can fill us in here yeah well and I'll swing his, back around and watch it William had some great comments here as well just his size I mean this is a guy 6'5", 215 as a junior in high school that looks like he could strap it on and play quarterback at the Pac-12 level right now. And if he enrolls early in January of 2025, he's still going to be 17 years old. So he is, is a man-child, and there are some 
areas to refine in his game, but the efficiency, the calmness, just his overall game looks a lot like Shadour Sanders. You hate to make that comparison because uh, all these high school quarterbacks need to come in and have live bullets coming at them until you find out what they're really all about. But uh, this is a, a huge get, and he embraced Colorado a lot on his visit. You know, there's certain guys that – they see Colorado as kind of a reservation. This is the best opportunity right now. I kind of like what they're doing. So I'm going to jump on board. Then there's those guys that seem like they come on their visit and they fully embrace everything that Colorado has to offer. And coach prime is certainly a big part of that, but Antoine Hill seems to be uh, fully on board with the buffs and, and he can be a real catalyst for that 2025 class that could really open some eyes. William share some of your thoughts that, that you did on AJ Hill. Well, I think he's, you know, I, I've been around CU football, I hate to say it, but since uh, 1978. <laughs> but uh, he's as big a quarterback recruit as I can remember since back in the late 80s when we got Sal and we got uh, uh, Darian Hagan and we got uh, Cordell Stewart. He's that kind of a guy that you hang a program on. Um, and I think moving forward, you know, I, uh, I saw a tweet from Talon Chandler said, well, this is who I'm going to be snapping the ball to for four years. Right. And then that's exciting to guys. It's like, now they know who my, who my, our leader is, and we're going to go and get on board with that. So I think that uh, when you have that quarterback, now you can go out to the offensive lineman and say, look, I need you to take this guy. Right. You can go out to the receivers and say, look, I got a guy who can get you the ball now, man. Um, you know, so he, he, uh, a, a great quarterback is sort of the pin that puts it all together in a recruiting class. And it, 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 it gives credibility you know, not not that Deion Sanders needs credibility because Deion Sanders right. is a force of nature, like frankly, like like nothing I've really ever seen. Um, and he's going to get what he get what he's going to get, but it it certainly doesn't hurt when you sign a guy like this. And and like you said, what really stood out was how much he loved Colorado and how much he loved the coaching staff, and what what he said was not football things, they life things. What stood out to him and his parents was they're going to take care of my kid. And that's going to help in a lot of places. And people don't expect that from Deion Sanders. And that, that's because that's the part that I didn't know about him. Well, he is such a deep person beyond football that he really cares about these players. And th- I'll go back to that TU game at the end. I'm watching the wife and he's, I get a little emotional here, but he, he's doing an interview and he's got, he's got, uh, Shador there, got uh, I had Travis Hunter there, and he had uh, Dylan Edwards. And my wife's out of the blue. She says, he really loves kids. And she'd see it with no other information for watching that interview. And that's going to sell. Yeah, that works in the living room, right? I mean, you, you, it's, it's hard to out-recruit Coach Prime. I can't imagine anyone else's better in the living room than he is that I mean I, across the country I don't even know if you could find anybody and then of course you know you've, you've got a good staff under him of recruiters and that's why I wanted your take Adam so that is exciting well, Matt, because it's kind of like, like Elvis in the living room I mean that's right Jesus yeah that's right that's right that's right that's good stuff thanks Adam should we get into uh, some midseason awards yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good thing to do. I wanted to I wanted to ask uh, ask you get you guys your thoughts on just coming off the Stanford game more than anything. A week removed. How do you feel about everything that went down and maybe just the trajectory moving forward? That was that was one thing that I was curious about because I've had some thoughts now, having a chance to have have had a week to kind of think about it. 
but I wanted to hear what you what you had to what, what you guys thought. Well, I you know I learned it from a, from a, from having cover a lot of time, and I and I really think that a failure like that in the second half comes down to the coaches, and I really think that there's a wake up call for the coaching staff to. You know, a lot of kids went home. I guarantee you none of those coaches went anywhere. And there are some some tough uh, conversations had. But I keep thinking back on that game, and I think, you know, there was really two games there. In the first half, it was total domination by CU. And so there's that team is still there in CU. Uh, and you have to get their mind right. Adam made a comment a few weeks ago about how in the first three games of the year, C played with an, an attitude, with a chip on their shoulder, you know, like, like everybody thinks we're going to stink and we're going to show them and we're going to beat TCU. And they really had an attitude and then they didn't have that attitude anymore. And since they lost that sort of edge uh, emotionally, they haven't really been the same team. They kind of got it back in the second half against Southern Cal and they had it in the first against Stanford. But my take on this team is they don't deal with success very well, which probably sounds odd, because most people think, oh, you got to deal with failure, but some sometimes success can be a harsher thing to deal with uh, than than failure, and and they need to figure out how to keep that fire going even when things are going well. I, I don't hmm. think that what happened in that second half changes my outlook. I guess, I guess if we'd been five and two going into going into this by, uh, uh, you know, I'd be looking seven or eight wins, and but now I guess I'm still thinking we're going to get six. So I don't know. I think there's some a wake up call. And, and some work to be done. Yeah, the reptile brain is kind of annoying at times. And I think, honestly, as Coach Prime said it after the game, that you can say it's 0-0 at halftime, but, you know, we're all human. We got instincts, and they slept walking. You know, they were sleepwalking in that second half, and uh, there were some fluke deals in there. Maureen Cooper basically just falls down on the 97-yard play. Uh, you know, I think there's some pent up frustration from Travis Hunter that, you know, the the way the season has just not quite gone to what it should be, given his talent level and the injury and all that. And he lashes out when, you know, the defense is going to get off the field in third down and it gives them that touchdown where if they kick a field goal there, I still think Colorado wins that football game. Uh, Carter Stoutmeyer had, you know, growing pains at the wrong time. And so it, I was shocked at the cornerback play rewatching that second half. This is one of the most talented units in the Pac-12, and they certainly didn't look like it for that half. But I, I do think it is partly human nature. And um, the great thing is that, you know, there's a clutch gene within this program that if they can just wake up in time. And I really thought when Zay Weaver caught that long touch, that that long pass, that that was the spark they were going to need to kind of wake back up and, okay, we're going to finish this out. And But I really do think it was partly human nature. Uh, but you know, credit to Stanford. They they also made adjustments in the second half, but uh, I don't think, obviously, you don't want that result going into the bye week. But if you're going to get a resolve as a group going, you got to sit with this game for a very long period of time. And that, that could theoretically breed positive results. Now, again, you'd much rather have them be five and two and then worry about them kicking back too much during the bye week uh, than to be in the certain, you know, current circumstance. But uh, if they come out and they overachieve, you could potentially look back to that Stanford second half as something that catapulted this program, but they got to go out and do that. And I don't know if they're going to do that. That's, that's up to them. Um, I do think Matt, and I don't know if you felt this way, but just, 
I looked around before press conferences before this bye week, and I saw a lot of tired faces. And all we're yeah. doing is covering this football team. What do you what do you think these players and coaches are dealing with? From there's just right. so much going on, and you can try to stick to your script, your daily plan, but when there's extra stuff, you know, on top of that each day from the excitement around Boulder right now, I don't know. I I think that this was a football program that needed a, a bye week in a desperate way, just from a recharging the battery standpoint. I know just covering this team, that's that's how I felt. Oh, I think. One, yeah, yeah, one more, one, one real quick point on Stanford game. The other thing I keep saying, I've believed this for a lot of years, football's my faith, okay? When you believe you can win, you can win. And in that second half, we came out and they got those, those two touchdowns and all of a sudden it was a close game. They started to believe and we started to doubt. And I think that's a big part of what happened. And if you're any kind of a competitor and those guys that play for CU now are competitors, this is going to eat eat at you. And this is going to, you're not going to, you're not going to want to let this be your last word on things. Yeah. I think those are great thoughts from both of you. Um, specifically as it relates to the Stanford game, I just thought as we move further and further away, and it was exactly what I felt that night, it was a failure in an approach from the coaching staff. I think that at times this year, they're a little bit too, and I've been talking about this now for the better part of a month. Are you beholden to what you want to be, or are you adapting to what you need to be? And I think next year, when you have more of your guys in the building, you can be a little bit more beholden to, okay, this is the identity we want to create. But unfortunately, I just think by the nature of the team that you have, that identity is going to have to form organically. And I think there's been a bit of pushback against it from the coaching staff as far as how they want to execute offensively. I know they want Shadur to shine, and I know that he has the talent to really drive the offense, but to take some of the pressure off of him, they they really should have been committing to the ground game more throughout the season, and it, it showed up in a really big way in the second half because they didn't make adjustments, and it's kind of been a theme that we have heard from some of this, some of the members of the coaching staff the last several weeks. It's like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I tend to agree with that, but you have to anticipate that Stanford down 29, nothing is going to come out looking to at least give one last gasp. Right. And you have to be able to shut that down. And Colorado, they came out in the same five wide spread to the boundary, three passes, three and out. And it's like, well, that's the type of stuff that allows another team more opportunities and extra possessions. And that was a real failure in approach from Sean Lewis, in my opinion, because it, if they didn't learn that from us, USC almost had the exact same thing happen to him just a few weeks before where they're snapping the ball with 25 seconds left on the play clock and allowing extra possessions. And I just thought Sean Lewis really missed the mark in that second half completely. And he's had his ups and downs, in my opinion, a little bit more down than up. But in his defense, it's easy to pick and choose from the outside. And I don't know what's going on in those rooms. And I also don't know what he's been asked to do offensively, right? I don't know how, if he feels like there's a lot of pressure to have Shadur come out of each game with 300 yards and three touchdowns. And, you know, so I I, I don't want to be too harsh on him. But I felt like in that second half, if you just run the football a little bit more and kill some more of that clock, man, they don't have enough time for that comeback. They just don't. And I think. Colorado probably opens the door offensively a little bit more for their own offense by doing some things a little bit differently. Well, um, and here's here's yeah. the maddening here's the maddening thing about it to me as a as a longtime line coach. Our running game works. It does. When you call it, it our does. running game works and it works well, man. I mean, I'm not talking 300 yards a game wishbone, but our running game is mm -hmm. tremendously effective, and they don't call the darn plays. Right. I don't understand it. 
You know, it's kind of the approach from Coach Prime. At the beginning of the year, William, I, and Adam knows this well, I kind of harped on him there for two weeks, and I was like, hey, what what's kind of going on with the running game? Do you believe that a commitment to the running game is necessary? And he kept telling me, he said, look, you know, if we're rushing the ball for one or two yards, I don't believe in doing that. Well, I've always been told, I've always been told that there's an old adage that if those one to two yard carries keep happening in the first half, but you stay committed to it in the second half, those start to open up. But to your point, I think this offensive line is probably better run block than pass block, to be honest with you. I really do. Absolutely. I just think I, I always push back on the people at the beginning of the year who said they can't run the ball. I'm like, they don't really try. They're not really trying to do it. And, and I think throughout, well, I'll tell you this, they cannot abstain from that the second half of the year and expect to win a bunch of these games against better teams with tough nose defense, Oregon state, Utah, Washington state, UCLA, you're going to have to run the football to win those games. So I would hope that there was a little bit of a, of an evaluation of, okay, okay, we're, we're a little bit beholden to what we want to be instead of adapting to what we need to be. You also brought up the confidence level, William, about they're not the same team confidence wise that they were heading into um, those first three games that they have been since. I think there is a lot to that. The team that took the field at TCU played like they had nothing to lose, and they kind of lost that against Nebraska. They were it was another slow start. They had five consecutive slow starts up until the Stanford game. So I think they're just trying to get a handle on things, but I think it's also a process and a, and maybe a byproduct of just having a new coaching staff together and it being such a new collective that sometimes these things do just take some time to gel and you kind of have to evaluate what you have, maybe just a little bit better than they have so far. I just don't know how you look at a 29 point blown lead and don't point the finger at the coaching staff. Like that's a complete and total system failure. And I agree with you as a, from a longtime coach, that's absolutely on the coaches. And one last thing I'll throw it back to Adam, but you know, as a, as a longtime line coach, there's not an offensive lineman on the planet that wouldn't rather run block than pass block, because that's when you have to go out and do what you do and be nasty and enforce your will. And, you know, to your point, frankly, when we're running the ball, we're getting three to five yards every time we run it. And, and I just don't understand why we don't just don't, hey, make, stop us. If you can stop right. us, then right. stop us. Why stop ourselves? I just don't get it. Yeah, I think it's a little failure in identity there. Just, just, yeah. just my yeah. opinion. The other part I wanted to bring up, Adam, you talked about the bye week. The bye week. Oh, my gosh. Was it ever time for a bye week? I was exhausted. Just exhausted. And I've been thinking about this the last few weeks. I can only imagine what these guys are going through. Like, I'm sitting here emotionally and physically spent what the heck are these guys feeling right now? I mean, those first five weeks, you open up with the national championship runner up on the road. Then you come back for your biggest rival, then your biggest in-state rival, all these games on national television, mind you. And then the next week, okay, the best two teams in the conference, the next two weeks perennially for about the better part of the last decade outside of Washington. So for me, those were an emotional five weeks. I don't know about you, but after, after, especially because Stanford was a short week after Friday night, I said, okay, I can use a break. Prime was in there talking about, we'd love to get out there and play right away. And I was like, really? Like, I know the competitive part of you wants to just get out there and write your wrong. But at the same time, I feel like the vibe of the football team is okay. Let's have a reset here. Refocus for the second half of the year, because I sure needed it. Unfortunately, I didn't end up getting it, but I needed, I needed that break Adam. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got it. And I'm going to move this show along guys. Uh, this is awesome. This is a great discussion. I feel like we could probably end up doing like a 24 hour marathon show if we just uh, keep going here, but I'm in let's... national championship <laughs> next year. I'll see you there. Right. 
Midseason awards, offensive MVP. This is very obvious. Let's just go down the line. Ralphie? I was going Charlie Offerdale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you, you nailed it, William. Yeah, he's in a commercial. I mean, come on. Man. That's right. <laughs> obviously, obviously, it's got to be Shador. I mean, you know, there, there are some. Uh, it's not. Maybe it's not that obvious. Some of those receivers, Jimmy Horn and and, and Zay Weaver, have really done things. And and you know, Michael Harrison. But maybe he's in a different category that we'll get to. But but uh, it, it's certainly got to be Shador. Don't you think? Yeah. That's it. That's all you got is yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to move along to defensive MVP. Where well, let me, let me say so. one, let me say one thing. It has to be Shador because without Shador, this is a completely different football team as good yeah. as Travis has been when he's been in there, but Shador's proven himself to be one of the best quarterbacks in the country, despite being the most sacked and most pressured. The kid is special. Absolutely. Unequivocally the offensive MVP. Right. What is Colorado's record right now? If I don't want to say Ryan stop, that's mean if say Brendan Lewis, Brandon Lewis is their starting quarterback. I genuinely don't know. Somebody asked me yeah. that the other day. I, I it's not one good. and six at least. One, yeah, it's something maybe, like maybe, that. Maybe maybe you get the Nebraska game. Maybe maybe I man. I probably zero and six, Adam. If right, I'm being probably. honest, if you had oh, Trout and Lewis, they probably haven't won a game yet. Defensive MVP. That's a little tougher, isn't it? I a went with Cam- Cameron Simlin Craig. He seems to have made the most big plays, the most momentum changing plays, uh, and was a guy that didn't even start the season as a starter. I just feel like his impact, and you you could throw out maybe four or five names here and, and probably make a case for it. Oh, I just right. feel like he's had those moments where you it, it hits the highlight reel and it makes a big impact for the defense. Well, let me throw this out and get a conversation about us do we win tcu or csu without trevor woods interceptions in the end zone that's who i picked that's who i picked was trevor woods if it wasn't travis hunter it's trevor woods that's who i picked and travis i think has just been out too much to otherwise he probably would be in it and and he clear you know going back to stanford he clearly was not the same guy against stanford on defense that he was early in the season there was clearly some some rust there or something i don't know especially after he got hit guys he got hurt yes. that hurt him like he even admitted on his podcast on monday that that he got he got his bell rung like you could tell in yeah. the second half he kept holding his ribs he was ah and i was like that he just doesn't look right yeah. to me so yeah i agree so I guess with we're Trevor, going with I'm going with Travis Woods. Travis Woods? Yeah. You sold me. <laughs> you sold me on Travis Woods. <laughs> All right. I like Trevor Woods. I'm going with Trevor Woods because of several big plays. And I think the unselfishness that he showed against Stanford to move right. to linebacker. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're going to keep it that way, but I thought that was pretty unselfish. Yeah, he doesn't look like a natural linebacker out there, but if you're trying to get your best 11 guys on defense, I don't hate it. I mean if the linebackers were playing up to a certain level and Juju Mitchell was out there in, in active, then maybe I'd rather have Trevor Woods on the back end. And I don't know. R- Roderick Woods has gotten better every week. And Roderick and this, right. Roderick not all re- They're not all related <laughs> to Travis. Name, we got, we got Travis Woods, Roger Woods, and you know, hey, you know, George Woods. That's right. Ro- Roderick Ward. I don't know if, you can take him off the field right now because it seems like he's getting better and better. He's kind of an energizer guy out there. And he was a guy that really didn't give up anything against Stanford. Um, but I, I don't thought know. That he, was, 
I defensively, I thought they had more defensive backs on the field because Stanford likes to do a lot to the edge, and they felt like they had a better chance with defensive backs making plays at the edge. I thought that was because there was one third down where they had Miles Slusher, Travis Hunter, Omarion Cooper, Shiloh Sanders, Cameron Silman Craig, Roderick Ward, and Trevor Woods out there. And I was like, they don't need it's it is all DBs and like three down like three down linemen. What is going on here? Yeah. That was definitely strange. Special teams MVP. Oof. I'm curious to hear what you guys pick. Uh, <laughs> William just to wants to punt on this one. He, he doesn't even <laughs> I, want I'm any just, part I'm of this. To, I'm trying to think of uh, 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 actual football players to name, but mm. um, I think I think it has to be. I think it has to be. I think it has to be uh, our punter. Um, you know, if you, and you think about Mark Vassett, if nothing else, those two those two kicks that he's dropped right at the one yard line are crazy, man. The one against TCU that sort of almost had eyes and it kind of dribbled out, and then and then the one against Stanford that he nailed back there. And I thought, well, okay, this is going to seal it, and of course it didn't. But uh, I can't think of anybody besides Vassett that really stands out to me as the guy. Well, okay, I'm gonna, I'll tell you that there's one play by my man Bishop Thomas when he steamrolled mm. that dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which gets him in the voting. Well, if you, I just need the men in black thing where they, they have the red laser go over your eyes. So you forget what happened right. with Mark Bassett with the block punt. Cause that's right. That, that's yeah. exactly right. Oh, dude, I, yeah. I maybe, I maybe watched that 10 times just trying to right. figure oh, out what the heck yeah. happened. And I was more confused at the end of those 10 replays than I was going into it. That's uh, right. But no, he's that's third right. in the Pac-12 in punt average right now. So that's who I've yeah. got. I think Mata would be the other candidate in terms of uh, a true specialist. But Because of his dancing. Come on, man. Yeah, that would be the only reason, William. <laughs> you know, I I just hope moving forward they address that. Because they, they you know, I, I think Mata is a good, uh, good from in close. But they got to have a kid who can have a leg. It's Colorado. We need kickers and punters who are tops in the country. This is altitude. How that needs to be a priority in recruiting. I've been screaming about it for 10 years. Like, how is that not, how is this not a place where kids want to come kick? I just think back to what Mason Crosby did and think you don't want to be that guy like that. You can be that guy here. So I, I do actually hope that they really prioritize that recruiting moving forward. I really do. I just want to know where they got the long-haired frat kid to kick the kick the kickoff out of bounds twice. <laughs> <laughs> he was their starting punter last year, wasn't he? Wasn't that it, Adam Palazzo? Oh, was that who that no, was? No, he, he's a walk-on. I'm. I, I never go after walk. But didn't he I'm punt really... last year? Didn't he punt he, last year? He did. Uh, he did some place kicking. Yeah, he that's was right. That's right. Part of the kind of the mix there, but yeah. yeah. No, I. It, w- yeah, each of those guys, when they hit it right, it looks the pretty. The point is but... he should never be in there, Adam. I don't care if he's a walk-on. He should never be in there. And yeah. if you want to achieve what you want to achieve and you want to compete for a national title next year, you need a kid who could step in and you can trust him from 45 to 50. You just do. Like, they don't yeah. have that kid on the roster right now. So I hope that they find a way to bring somebody in in this recruiting class. Because, yeah. guys, if, if they want to win tight ball games, they need that guy. They really do, and they don't have him. All right, midseason awards continuing here. Most underrated. On either side of the ball or overall? On either side of the ball. On either side. I've got Amari McNeil. That's who I was going to say. That's who I was going to say. Because Amari McNeil, that's why I asked if you were going to go offense and defense, because Amari McNeil is absolutely the guy that I thought of. That guy 
I don't, he, he, I don't want to say dominant because he's been damn close, but that's, you know, dominant is a big word, but he has been super, super effective and nobody notices because he's not getting stats. He's not getting sacks. He's not getting tackles for losses, but he is beating up offensive linemen and letting other guys do their jobs. And when I watched the game, you know, I, you know, I always are watching the lines more close than anything else, but, but Amari McNeil is always the guy that jumps out to me. Like something happens and there he is right in the middle of it. So Amari McNeil is my guy too. All right, I've got three here. I've got three here because I couldn't really decide because the one I wanted, and again, you kind of have to bring back the Ben and Black, you know, thing uh, because Omarion Cooper, I think, has played a really, really big role for this team, especially yeah. when Travis Hunter got hurt. And yeah. quite frankly, I don't know why he's rotated as, mu as much as he has at that other corner position just based upon the experience. And I know Stoutmeyer has shown some things and McLean had a moment, but those two kids have also been burned a lot, you know, th this year. And so I'd like to see maybe a heavier dose of him here moving forward the second half of the year, especially on the road at some of these tough schools, right? I mean, UCLA, Utah, Washington State, I'd go with experience there. The other two guys I wanted to give a shout out to were you you mentioned defensive MVP. I was going to say Cameron Silman Craig for most underrated because you just mentioned leading the team in interceptions. And the other guy, Anthony Hankerson, because I think Hankerson has just stepped up in a really big way. Well, and I got to jump in there on him because, you know, on the, on the stampede board, there just seems to be a disrespect for Hankerson and, and, and because of what McCaskill did a couple of years ago, somewhere else also, and, and because Hankerson was here last year too, I think there's a bias against guys that were here last year. Nobody's given him the credit for what he's doing out there. And he's not going to be a guy that shakes and bakes in the open field and goes 90 yards, but he's going to get you three to five. And, and when, when some guys get you five, he'll get you seven. When, when some guys get you seven, he'll get you 12 and he'll get that 20 yarder and, and, and what have you. And he runs hard and he's the kind of guy as an offensive line coach. I appreciate because he has patience and vision and he makes my guys look good because he finds the holes they make, not, you know, mm. just runs into their butt where they're supposed to be, you know? So right. I, I love that pick. Can I ask you something about the running back room, William? The, the the usage of that position group this year has not made a, a ton of sense to me. Like they'll, they'll bring in Cavassier smoke for a series. And why, why even do that? Yeah. Just give it to Hankerson. Well, running back's not going to build a rhythm that way. It just, I know that you want to give him some playing time, but does that really appease him? So to me, I, I, there's a lot of stuff about the way they've used that position that I just, it's either they don't like things. It's too much is changing on a week to week basis yeah. rather than staying consistent. And why take the guy off the field who's doing everything you need? Hankerson's he's he's as good in in pass protection as he is in everything else. He's also a guy you can throw the ball to down the field and he can actually catch it. So I don't understand taking him off the field unless he's tired. And 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 really put lining up uh, uh, Dylan Edwards behind center is kind of silly. Oh, oh silly. first and second down. It's just a waste yeah. of a down. Yeah. It's a waste well, it's of a, waste a down. Of, of talent. The right. kid is super talented, but that's not his talent. Get right. him out on the edges like they did the first few games. I love that quick pitch to the outside and let him do what he does. Mm. Yeah, the shotgun there, the little toss. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. that's a nice play. If Anthony Hankerson got 20 carries out at UCLA, I feel pretty strongly that he turned that into 100 yards. Absolutely. Would he turn it into 200 yards? Not a chance. Right, uh, right. There's a, a dying curiosity inside of me that like wants to know what it would look like if he gets 20 carries in a game. And right. what the offense would look like. That's what right. I really want to know because it would take so much pressure off of Shadur. They might not have their, you know, huge 
you know, chunk plays right away, but you set those up with some, maybe some play action game. Now, actually what's interesting is I, I talked to Mark Schlereth about this because, you know, I host with stinky. He, he's a colleague of mine at one Oh four, three, the fan. And I was asking him about, okay, so if you have a quarterback that's under pressure as much as Shador Sanders, but you're constantly in five wide and empty spread out to the boundary, like what do you do? And he said, well, even if you have a running back in there, you really can't give opposing defenses many different looks because there's just a few concepts you could do with shotgun runs. So you're really not doing. So I think formationally and some of the things that they do offensively next year, I think they just need to mix in a little bit more variety as they continue to get more of their guys in the building. What's been the best moment of the season so far? Oh boy. There's been so many there, you know, there, I kind of almost have to break it down to on the field and off the field and, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that it's going to be a football play to me. I, I got to tell you, just as a person who appreciates men with character, that moment with Coach Prime and Jimmy Horn Jr. against CSU mm. is as good as it gets. And you can probably hear it in my voice. He took him aside. And Jimmy's not having a good game, man. You know, people think, oh, coaches, all they do is F, yell at him and drop the F-bomb on him. He took that kid aside and he said, do it for your dad. Cause he's watching and he calmed right. him down and he had that great play. And, and I, and, you know, combined that moment with prime talking to him with the play that he made later. And that's, that's for me. Cause it gets me right there. Mm. All right. So for me, it's gotta be on the field, um, which I think that's great. And obviously those are amazing moments. I think there've been so many of them, William, it's almost become commonplace, but that just speaks more to who coach prime really is right. That he actually has a genuine interest in these kids, knows their stories, knows the family. And a lot of coaches do, but there's a care level there that, that it's just obvious. Cause he wears that on his sleeve. Like even Cormani, when he was being, you know, given tough right. love to Cormani, that's right. all love. That's all love. Cause yeah. he sees the potential. It was so, like yeah. that, Tony, you can't, you know, you're not going out until you do your homework. That's right. You think you're hot stuff. Not anymore. Like this is a different level. It's a wake up call. Uh, for me, it is the Travis Hunter interception at TCU because that's yeah. when you went, Holy cow. Cause I remember like my jaw was on the floor of the press box there in Fort Worth. I was like, wow. Um, because that changed the game, right? I think that saved the right. game. I don't know that they win if he doesn't make that play because right. TCU is about to march in for another score right there. And then I think the off-the-field one, and it's funny that you had that because I also had one, was I know you weren't there, Adam and William, but um, college game day coming to Boulder was amazing. I got the VIP you know, press pass for that, so I was on the stage with The Rock and Kirk and, and Lee, and that was amazing. And, and I got to jump in on that because that was my other one. When, when, when Prime came out and The Rock... You know, and the rock's a showman, man. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. he gets on his knees and he's like, My man, and and that's right. Prime is like their their obvious close friendship and just the excitement of that moment with Coach Prime being the I bet the whole country that watches football was watching that particular moment. And that it's funny. You and I, man, we gotta go drinking because I think we've got the same eye for things. I told, that, I told Adam that weeks ago. I said William yeah. and I could absolutely sit down and have a couple of yeah. beers together. But yeah, no, that was really cool being there for that moment. I'm I'm very blessed to say that I was there for that moment because it was just it was I've never seen anything like it. I never thought I'd see anything like it at CU and that whole day with big noon kickoff and college game day and then 10 million people at night. That is definitely off, you know, off the field wise, my best moment. Yeah, I think for me on the field, it was when the clock hit zero on that Nebraska game. <laughs> They're going to play out Lincoln next year. And when that game takes place, there will have been more than 5,000 days that pass between 
Nebraska's last victory over Colorado in in the kickoff of that football game. Uh, from a very yeah. young age, I had a just a, a hatred for Nebraska and really had no <laughs> no reason for it. I just you know. We all have our thing. We all have our thing. And uh, so they have a winning record against Nebraska since 2001, three in a row against the Huskers. So uh, just to have that reality stretch forward was big. The pregame with the 10 a.m. kickoff and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett are down on the field. I, I grew up a big Celtics fan. And to feel that crisp fall air, in, in I took a moment just to kind of soak that moment in. The atmosphere was lacking for the Stanford game, even though there were a lot of people at the stadium. Uh, but for the USC game, that, that was pretty special. Yeah, well, it was 830 at night and freezing. So, yeah, yeah. it was lacking a little bit. Like, I get yeah. that. You know, man, my, I, I, you know, I played at CU back in our, in early 80s, and I was there through the whole time with McCartney. So the, the hate for for Nebraska runs deep, and, you know, uh, I've been asked to leave that town before, and the wife has forbid me from going to away games <laughs> at Nebraska because she's like, I'm not bailing you out. And I, you know, so, <laughs> uh, and, you know, quite frankly, Sal was a close friend. And when they mocked him, that was just too, too, too much. And so, yeah, when and anytime we beat the Cornhuskers, and, and I'm going to use their actual name because we're on the radio and I want to have a little class, but um, anytime we beat them is a, is a top of the line moment. You never have to have class when it comes to talking about Nebraska. That should be That's a rule true. above Stampede Radio. No, no, no. There's yeah, no like, class. I, I kind of thought it was funny that uh, McChesney was going to go up there and sit in their section and and uh, you know be McChesney, and and you know the wife said, "You're not doing that. Don't even think yeah. about it." <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> All That's right. What's down. what's been the worst moment of the season so far? Mm. I got to go that, 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 that hit on that cheap shot on Travis, man. Change the season. I think that's exactly what I picked. I picked yeah. the Blackburn, the Blackburn cheap shot, or obviously blowing a 29 point lead that whole moment, that experience yeah. unto itself, but the cheap shot, because it did change because Travis is one of the leaders of this team. And in a lot of ways, when he's out there, you feel like, Oh, at least well, we got him right. out here. Right. right. You know, if and I, and he and people believe in him. They believe that he'll he, he's kind of like he's our guy. We follow him. Yeah. How about you? For Al? me, for me, it was Ayo Maynard catching that ball on Travis's back, and it was oh, the uh, pinned it to his helmet. That was yeah. Th- this just you know, destiny's falling in line with Stanford here tonight, and here we go. So, all the positive podcasts we could have done this last week and a half oh my just ruined you know mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> it would have been such a positive vibe five and two and it would have been a lot of fun and so that that sinking feeling in my stomach of oh yeah this is this is yeah. not going to be Sue's night that, that, that's one of those plays as a coach you know I've seen those kinds of plays and you just like we're packing in we'll come back next week and try again man because this right. is not a night <laughs> right yeah no that was a good one Adam I I I'll rotate in and out between like the stairs and the press box. I don't like to be in the stuffy press box too much during the game. I'll tweet, but I got you and Brian firing off live tweets. Like you got about your holsters, right? I, I, you know, I can get in there with some, with some commentary, not necessarily live tweets. So some of the bigger moments, like I'll go out to the staircase and watch. And when that happened, I just went, all right. Like you guys said, not your night. Like sometimes it's just not your night. Hey, Matt, I got to tell you a story about that. Cause are you talking about the North? Did you go out the North end of the press box? Yeah. Yeah. One year when I worked for the athletic department, my game day assignment was outside that door. 
Is that and, right? Uh, and you know, Platy wouldn't let anybody cheer in there. And and I remember 1989, and uh, we're playing Nebraska, and all of a sudden the door opens, and out comes um, uh, Irv Brown and um, oh my God, what's his name? Joe. Football. Joe. Oh, Joe. Oh. And and football coach at Cherry Creek. Uh, oh, Dave uh, Logan. Dave Logan. Those three guys come out and they're like, "Hey, can we stand here with you?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure. What's going on?" They're like, "Yeah, fucker won't let us." Excuse me, but he won't let us cheer in there. And so uh, I'm like, well, they, we stood out there and went nuts the whole rest of that game because they 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 said, we're cheering because we yeah. hate this team and, and we're winning. So I, I just thought it was funny you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great because you kind of get out of the, you know, the press box. You just kind of open air. But, yeah, you could also, you know, say whatever you want. So right. that's good stuff, too. <laughs> Who are we looking at for second half breakout candidates? And there's radio silence. <laughs> <laughs> this one was the hardest for me simply yeah. because of the way they've used players. It could right. be a different. You never know who's going to play. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you mine first. I'll lead off this one, William. I have uh, two names. One is Sean Lewis, because this is uh, I think this is his time to really kind of sink his teeth in a little bit more and be more dimensional than he's shown so far be be demonstrate an ability to be more of a critical and anticipatory thinker i think a little bit more with some of their concepts and their play calls and their game plans and then i think on the field caleb foria i mean we saw the two-point conversion right maybe he finds a way to work himself into the rotation i know mikey harrison's been doing a great job but ever since he's been on the field he always makes plays when he's on the field but he's just hurt all the time so that that would be that would be my two names and I, and to expand on the on the Lewis thing, he's also got a week now to sort of sit back and sit down. You know, they've got those analysts on the staff now who got a lot of football experience, and they need to be scouting our offense. And Lewis needs to sit down with them and say, "Okay, what can we do to expand this and make it better?" Mm, I Just, like that a lot. Yeah, so this gives him a week to to uh, sort of recharge and look at what he's been doing. And I and I like that pick, and I hope you're right. I am going to throw out a guy that you mentioned earlier, Matt. And that's Omarion Cooper. This was a guy that even in the Oregon game, when they're getting boat raced, not for a second did I ever question that guy's motive. And he was playing 100 miles an hour, and he's had a few moments that have not gone his way, that falling that down corner. on that 97. That's, yeah. that's that position. I want to see Omarion Cooper out there 100% of the time at corner. I just think that he is their second best corner, you know, Travis Hunter, obviously being the first. And I, you know, you could theoretically sit Carter Stoutmeyer out the rest of the season and redshirt him. Um, or Ooh. maybe you think he's going to be three years into the pros and you want to continue to get him reps in some of these games. And, and that wouldn't shock me. That's probably the more likely scenario, but I just want to see Omari and Cooper out there hundred percent of the time going forward. And the other breakout candidate would be, if he's out there, Juju Mitchell has a chance to lead the Pac-12 in tackles down the stretch because he's that type of talent, but we haven't really gotten a clear understanding of, of what happened there. And certainly his past history leads you to think it based on Coach Prime's answer that it's disciplinary. Uh, but he's a guy that I was really enjoying watching play football right before that Arizona State game when he mysteriously got pulled out of the lineup. Yeah, I guess I, I would expand on that. And it's, it's interesting you say him because the two names I got will play a little bit off of that. But um, I'm glad you said Omari and Cooper because that's going to make my guy less sort of I, – I, when I was thinking about this, the, the guy I first thought of is Jordan Dominic, who's not really a breakout because he had a good first part of the season. But he's been that close so many times 
to get in a sack or, or, you know, to, to take a turn into pressure into something more. And I just really feel like he's at the point of almost exploding and coming this sec, this second half of the season, he might get, he might get enough sacks to really make a difference for us. And then the other guy who really came on late, um, you know, didn't play early was Brendan Gant. And maybe that's part of the reason why, uh, Juju Mitchell's not playing is because Gant's playing so well. And I think, uh, uh, the linebacker coach said after, after that, one of those games, he said, I didn't pull Gant out because he was doing so well. Why pull a guy when he's doing well? You know who I wanted to answer, guys? I wanted to answer Alton McCaskill. That's yeah. who I wanted to answer. I really did. And I felt like breakout. It's like, okay, who do we not know about yet? And that's why I picked for you. But that was who I wanted to answer was McCaskill because I do believe that there is something to continually getting him involved, but it takes a bigger commitment. If you're going to rush a ball, 12 to 15 times with the running backs. It's hard to get guys carries. I'd like to see that change over the back half of the year to just relieve some pressure on Shadur more than anything. But he's got to be able to pass protect too, because you can't signal to the defense that you're going to give him the ball, right? You can't yeah. you can put him out there if he can't pass protect, because now every time you put him out there, they know he's getting it. He should be able to, though. He's a big dude. I mean, he, he should think, be right? able to. But, but you know, you go back to Philip Lindsay and guys like that, and, and it's not always it's it's the size of as a size the of size the dog, not, yeah. not the size of the dog in a fight. You know, if anybody knows that, William, it's me, right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some, some of the best, some of the best blocking I ever saw was from Philip Lindsay. I yeah. love that kid. I bet Coach Flea would just fall asleep at night replaying Anthony Hankerson's takedown. Uh, who was that of during preseason? He took down a big defensive oh, tackle yeah. in pass protection. That's that, that I think that is part of why Hankerson got this early opportunity. Shane and uh, Shane oh, Coates. Good answer. That's right. That's another. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was well, yeah. That's another good answer for breakout candidate too. Yeah, absolutely. Shane Coach has been he 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 would be a good answer for for the under underappreciated because he has also been a guy that's at the ball every single time when um um who was it uh 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 eh, old man stuff here uh um well anyway when when the the sack against uh once um I don't know anyway move his his best game was USC I thought he started to play pretty well yeah. against USC. Yeah. Did Ralphie leave our chat? No, she's still there. <laughs> so I've been asked a lot the last couple of weeks with these different radio interviews they do in national areas, Omaha, all over the place. And they, they want to stir up controversy with Colorado. And the number one thing they ask is Travis Hunter and what a disservice they're doing by playing him both ways. Yeah. And they were waiting for that, that one moment where he showed some weakness and it happened in the Stanford game. But Matt, you mentioned that he took a big shot. If there wasn't a bye week and he had an opportunity to get his conditioning, I would say maybe dial the reps back a little bit going out to UCLA. I don't know, maybe, maybe gauge it off his performance this week in practice. Um, I think he's more valuable valuable being a full-time member of cornerback right now based on what we saw in the second half of the Stanford game how would you guys both like to see him utilized you know if he's healthy the, the next five games William you take this one that's why I sat back because I feel like you got a good answer for this well I, I I look at the first two and a half games and the and amount that he was playing in those games and look there was no problems man there were no problems until that cheap shot from Henry Blackburn. There was no downside to playing him that much. Now, you know, is, is what happened with, with uh, 
Blackburn, you know, what happens if you play enough times, you're going to get hit like that. I mean, he got hit like that against Stanford too, but I don't see a downside to playing him a lot. Um, obviously, our, you know, we've, we've got a lot of talent, a receiver, we got a lot of talent, a cornerback, but he's also, he's clearly game changing on both sides of the ball. So I think they need to get back to finding ways to use him like we did. You know, he, he was as big a part of that TCU win as anybody on the field because he was such a weapon on both sides of the ball. When we needed a first down, he was there. His ball skills are, are, are just ridiculous on both sides of the ball. So having you, 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 you kind of got to have him on the field. And until we get that level of talent like a Georgia or Alabama or something like that, you just can't afford to take the guy off the field. And I don't think we're doing him a disservice. I think I think. If anybody's if anybody's questioning how we're using Travis Hunter uh, with regards to his own health, I think they're being stupid because if just just look at Coach Prime talking to the team and, and he got that text from from Travis saying, I'm playing. I'm not taking no for an answer. And Coach Prime says, your health means more to me than winning a football game. Straight out, clear, perfect, you know, no equivocation or anything about it. He, he said it and then he meant it and he held him out. So. Clearly, Travis Hunter's health uh, is of prime importance to this coaching staff. And so anybody making that argument, like you said, they're just trying to stir up controversy and trying to trying to poke something that's not there. Yeah, I don't have any issue with it. Prime wouldn't put him in that position if he felt like it was unsafe. First of all, that that I wholeheartedly believe. Second of all, Travis is just a different breed. And I don't think people really understand that. Um, this is a kid who wants that. Right. And and even if it's, you know, detrimental, like Prime said, he, or like Travis said, after the CSU game, he probably would have gone back in there if the doctors hadn't stopped him. But right. he just has that motor. He can do it. And I, I I was actually, quite frankly, a little surprised by some of the pushback that just the amount of snaps that he played got against Stanford, maybe just because the number is so jarring. You know, I thought he was more physically ailing because of the shot he took in the end zone, not right. his wind. I didn't think right. his wind was a problem. Did well, you have what? a problem with that, Adam? No. Well, look, 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 look back. I'm, I'm sorry to jump in, but yeah, look you're back fine. all the conditioning runs in the summer, right? And they run in those stairs, and everybody's at the top, and they're puking and they're gasping. And he's like, is he's that, different is that breed, the, is that, right? Is that the warm up? Oh no, yeah. The hard part. He just, he just, it's like I, I compared it in one of our podcasts to the guys that climb Mount Everest without oxygen, right? They just have a different, they, they're, they're, they process energy different. What I try not to do is hindsight's 2020. 20, so I'm going to change the way I felt about it. If I was going to look out there in the second half against Stanford on any of those plays defensively, knowing that Travis is coming back from this injury, knowing that he took that shot, you know you'd still want number 12 out there based on all the knowledge that you have going into this situation. And so he got beat on a couple of plays. He made a dumb mistake after a play and then you're going to change your opinion. No, like this is who he is. And the reason that he committed to play for coach prime partly is because coach prime appreciates, like you said, Matt, that this is a different individual and Deion Sanders was a different individual when, when he was a player. And he's talked about the fact that, yeah, I wish I could have played a little bit more both ways. And I would have been able to handle that. And so he can tap into Travis Hunter, not only the football player, but just how he's dealing mentally with everything that's happening so much better than anybody. And so that marriage between the two of them and the fact that Travis has you know, become like a son to Coach Prime is just a, an awesome story. But you know, that is... 
if you're coach prime, you gotta, you gotta trust his instincts with Travis Hunter and not second guess things. Okay. If, if, you know, they catch a, a fluke ball on his helmet or, you know, he makes a stupid mistake after a, a third down play in terms of retaliating. But uh, any of those plays, had you asked me who I'd want out there at that cornerback spot, it was number 12. So it would kind of, it'd kind of be silly to come back and criticize his coaching staff in hindsight. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to add one thing to that real quick. I just wanted to say that look, I mean, everybody bagged on Travis after that game, but he had 11 catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns. It's like, oh, Travis had a rough, rough half, second yeah. half defensively. Kid had you know 11 balls, 140 yards, two touchdowns. That's an amazing day for just about any receiver. The other part of it is, look, I mean, this is why Coach Prime didn't want him back early because the amount of expectation on him to be that dude is just different than it is on even a Xavier Weaver, right? No, Travis has to be perfect. Otherwise, he had a bad game. That was yeah. kind of one of the things that Prime was trying to tell us heading into that week. It was like, well, look, if, if we keep, if we keep, you know, listening to outside, that means we have to listen to everything. So I don't even think they pay that any mind. Sorry, William. And then everybody, you know, everybody makes, you know, hell, I saw John Elway come out of the huddle and line up behind the guard one time. We're not going to play him because he made a mistake. I mean, you know, great players do great things. And sometimes I do boneheaded things. So what? You, you keep on going. That's, and, and part of the Nate, part of the reason why great players sometimes have great mistakes is because they go that extra little, you know, they, they're going to try to make that play that other guys aren't going to try to make. And sometimes it doesn't work. But there was nothing about that game. You know, that that wide receiver for Stanford had the game of his life. And I get I guarantee you, you match him up against Travis Hunter again, and that guy won't catch a ball. I would maybe Travis take those is that odds. kind of competitor. Yeah, he's that kind of competitor. So exactly. I believe it. Exactly. Let's close out here. And Matt, you suggested this topic, and I think it's a great one. You pose the question: What has Coach, what has the Coach Prime era experience been like for us personally? Let's start with you, Matt, since you suggested this. I'm curious what your thoughts are here, William. Then we'll go to you, and then me. Uh, what has the Coach Prime experience, you know, the beginning of this era meant for me personally? Look, I'm from Chicago originally, right? Moved out here, been out here most of my life. I remember going to see you games when I was six years old. And that was fun, but I was too young to really grasp, you know, what what being good in college football meant. In fact, most of my adult life, they've been awful. And, and outside of covering the team in 2016 with that magical year, no one had those expectations of that team heading in. And certainly no one has had expectations of this team coming in. So they get a free pass for all intents and purposes. Like even if they went 0-5, it's still a rousing success. They can't have that type of losing streak next year. For me personally, it's been a lot of fun because this has, like I said, kind of been the free pass here. We're getting to know Deion Sanders, who's an all-time great athlete. And for you and I, Adam, having had a chance to be around him quite a bit, it's been it's been very, very fun to cover. But he's also been the most unique cover of my entire career, just based upon access and personality. And, you know, I, I'll give him a lot of credit because a lot of great players just and Michael Irvin brought this up, don't have patience. He has a lot of patience because these guys get asked the same repetitive questions. And, and I would lose. I would just say, look, I appreciate the question, but I've been asked that a thousand times. Let's move on. That's just kind of who I am. I wouldn't have the patience for it. But he sits there and he treats everyone with the same level of respect until you disrespect him or he feels disrespected. And he was able to make his point, you know, kind of shouting back at Pat Rooney as he did at the, you know, I was at fall media day or something like yeah. that. And then, and then the TCU game with Ed Werder, but he did that stuff to make a point. 
And unfortunately, Pat in the moment was kind of the target of that, but he's even argued semantically with me. So I think covering him, um, it's been a fun experience because he keeps you on your toes, but he's also a really, really good human being. And, and that part has been special for me because I've been around a lot of coaches and some of these guys are just jerks. Right. And while I think he has every reason and every, um, every opportunity to, to be that person, he's not. And, and that's just kind of part of his face. I faith, I believe, but you know, I mean, this is, a, this is Boulder. This is not, you know, where he's, where, you know, it's not Jackson. This is not, you know, Dallas. There is very little diversity here. And that was kind of one of the things that a lot of people were raising questions about, well, how is Boulder going to receive him? And I kept saying Boulder needs this. Like I'm from the inner city of Chicago. So I grew up in a very diverse, you know, environment from, from, a lot of people who live around here, they don't, you know, like he talked about, there's a lot more African-American people around a lot of the time and you see the games and it's just a different vibe and a different culture. And this is what Boulder's needed for a long time. So for me personally, it's been really special getting a chance to kind of get to know a little bit Dion, even though he keeps us at an arms at an arm's reach. That would be my only thing that I hope moving forward is that we have a little bit more opportunity to kind of get to know him, but I know he doesn't have time for any of that. So it's kind of a double-edged sword because I'd like to know more. And I'd like to have the opportunity to ask him more so I could know more about his philosophies and kind of what he believes in as far as football and his ideology. But we, I'm, I'm happy with what we get. And it's been a lot of fun. But I do know that the price of poker goes up next year. So as fun as this season has been, real expectations sets in at the beginning of next season. And they've got to have that thing strapped on, ready to go week one in the Big 12. Well, I got to I got to. Say, man, I'm buying the first round, man, because you just you it's like you read my mind on part of what you said there. And I'm going to I'm going to go off on that a little bit. But there's two aspects of it to me. Number one is the guy who's been around CU football since, since, since 1978, 1980, the 90s and, and the great years and what have you. And, and, you know, I've been a diehard fan, lived and died with this team. And I got to tell you, I was done. I was done, man. At, at the end of last season, I was done. And the wife said, you're not going to games anymore because it's not good for you. This is not good for you. We're going to do something else. And, 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 and I was done with it because what had become of this program was so hopeless and so bad. And then almost from day one, Coach Prime has turned that around and given me back the program that I love for all those years, you know, we're not winning 10 games, 11 games, but it's fun, man, you know, and, and, and it's joyful. And one of the things that stands out to, out to me about coach prime is that he approaches everything in life with joy. And you talked about, you know, even when people disrespect him, he returns respect back to them, you know, but he holds them accountable. You know, he doesn't do it by calling names and what have you, but the other thing that, that 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 really struck me, what you said, is he's such a good person. And I had no idea this was the kind of man he was. All I knew was prime, you know, prime time and, and, and the persona. What I didn't know was how much he cares about the players and how much he cares about larger things like the community of Boulder, you know, uh, welcoming and being being diverse and what have you. And, you know, to expand on your your point about covering coaches, man, I've worked for a lot of these sons of bitches, and you are right <laughs> on the money, man. Some of these guys are just assholes and just right. egotistical jerks. They don't care about their players. They don't care about the fans. They just care about them and their own legacy. And so when you get a Bill McCartney, you know, my, my, my vivid memory of Bill McCartney when I was there, I was no good, man. You know, I was a walk-on. 
and he cared about me. He came and talked to me. You know, how's classes going? What do you want to do with your life? And 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 a guy like that has a huge impact on the future. And he was a, had a huge impact on what kind of coach I was. And you see that from Coach Prime, and you just feel proud to be part of it. You know, I mean, I'm not out there on the field, but I'm proud to have this guy representing the university uh, that I love so much and, and the team that I love so much. So to have a guy who, you know, is doing it and doing it the right way, you know, and and just has that kind of class and decency and intelligence and. And I love how he handles everything. And I, and I think also Deion Sanders is, is, you know, probably one of the greatest football players in the history of the sport. And yet, you know, he has an ego, but that's not what he's about. And he will see where he's making mistakes and will learn from it and do things better and do things differently. And that's why I think it's going to get even better in the second half of the season, because I think he sits back and takes a look and goes, okay, there's things we've got to do differently and do better. And he doesn't just go, you know, Matt, you've probably seen this, Adam, you've seen this. A lot of these coaches, Hey, it's my way, man. That's we would do it my way. And whether we're winning or losing, we're going to keep on doing it my way. Cause that's all I know how to do. Uh, and I think that uh, what he's brought, to this program and, and the way he's put us on the, like, like you said, nobody else, you know, Saban couldn't have done this. No. You know, uh, and no, nobody else could have had the personality to draw the nation in. And, and you know, I, I keep hearing comments like, like CU is, is black America's team, you know, and, and, and giving people something to look at and believe in and, and you know, to, to see an African-American man come to a place like Boulder and just really succeed and be great. There are so many different levels to this that are so good and so positive, and I'm proud to be part of it. The other thing I want to add before you respond, Adam, is the other amazing part that we haven't even touched on is the fact that we get to see all of it behind the scenes. Like, how about the fact that he has kicked convention to the curb and opened up transparency? Now, of course, there are some things that they don't include in there, right? But most of it they do. And so many coaches are, no, 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 you can't see what's behind the curtain. And right. that's that's the total opposite. What's even funnier is he shoots down some of the people that are his naysayers and the quote-unquote haters. Those people would be questioning what's going on behind the scenes if they didn't have a chance to see it. And because he puts it out there, you can't say anything, man, because here it is for everyone to see. And that part of it has been really unique and really special. And the last thing I'll add is the fact that I've become completely desensitized and normalized to whoever and whatever you could bring in. Like you could bring in anybody short of Tom Cruise to Folsom field. That'd be like, all right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Right. Like that, that yeah. is, that is definitely a first for me as a CU, as a CU uh, supporter here. Yeah. Matt, you're almost on there. And it, my, my, my wife's like, that's Matthew McConaughey. And then she goes like, <laughs> later on, she's like, who's Sabathia guy. I'm like, that's right. CC Sabathia. Right. <laughs> Honey, be quiet. <laughs> He's only like one of the best baseball players ever. So, Matt, you'd be surprised to go cover a CU practice and not see somebody famous or a, a Hall of Famer just walking around. That's become the norm now. And it's right. just ridiculous. It's wild. It's wild. You step into the press conferences and you're like, okay, I'm on camera. That was the really funny thing. And we were talking to some of the Amazon documentary guys, and I cannot wait to watch season two of Coach Prime because they were telling us that, uh, William, I don't know if you know this, but after the first two wins, Amazon dumped a whole bunch of more money into the documentary. So they added more episodes. They added more cameras. Those guys were telling us they get there at 6 a.m. and they don't leave every day until 10 p.m. So they're pretty wow. much there constantly. And you'll see guys in the press conferences with cameras that are like strapped around their chest coming up over the top these stabilizers it's it's going to be really cool to see that they've got some incredible footage has that come I out did. at all yet 
Not what yet. No, I, I did an interview with them and I'm thinking that I got a chance to get on the documentary. And then I start to see the rock filter through Boulder and I start yeah. to see all these celebrities. I'm like, you know, there's a pretty good chance that, uh, that I might get cut. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's this guy? Monster yeah. tiger. Nah. I, what was he in? What movie was it? No, get him out of here. Yeah. We'll be in there though. In the press conferences, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be in the dock. I'd be surprised if we weren't. I mean, it's like you and I and Brian and a couple of other people that are constantly around, but it's a tight inner circle. I would say. Yeah. It's funny though. I was just the other day by week and I'm looking at my phone and the storage is about to get filled up from all these interviews we do during the season. So I'm going back and deleting photos and I I start to get back to the beginning of last season. And man, there there were some dark memories in there. And I'm thinking back to October 1st, I'm seeing some pictures in there of that breakfast that I was probably just miserable at because I'm going to cover (laughs) Colorado play down in Tucson at Arizona. And uh, no offense to Carl Durrell. I've said this many times. If he, I, I would pick him to be my neighbor. He's a good person, but just not a guy that's going to inspire neighbor. your neighbor. <laughs> just not going to inspire college athletes to to get the best out of them. Oh, that and was so, a great line. And then October second, Brian Howell and I hadn't slept more than about an hour flying back from Arizona. We covered the press conference, and Brian asked Phil DeStefano about the transfer situation in terms of the fact they can't get guys into this program to compete with the teams they're competing with on the field. And his answer went to Juco and it just wasn't the proper answer to that question. And Brian and I are out in the hallway and we're looking at each other thinking it does not matter who the next head coach is here. This is set up to to fail no matter who takes over. So to go from that moment, October 2nd to mid-December, now you've got this pilot program and now you can bring in guys into this program that can help you compete. They brought in the nation's top-ranked recruiting class in terms of the transfers based on these trans the, these changes that were implemented when in October we didn't think that was a possibility. So to go from that to Coach Prime to seeing basically a program on life support go to being the center of attention world there was yeah. no way to f- fully absorb all this stuff it was just too much coming at, at a very fast rate but those few moments when you had a second to fully grasp some of it it was over it, it was just incredible to see folks that have suffered so long and then to go out to tcu it wasn't so much at oregon because eugene's a little bit harder to travel to but then to go down to asu and all you see is buff gear literally everywhere you look you couldn't turn your head some direction in the airport and not see a CU hat or a CU shirt. And I mean, even coming, coming back, back from, from Dallas. Yeah. I was yeah. just about to say coming back from Dallas is that way. I had the fight song in the gate area because DeStefano was on that plane. I was on that plane. I had to switch planes and I raced right from the stadium at TCU to the airport. They had the fight song and then they had the fight song when we landed on the plane. It felt it, it, like I've told a lot of people it's felt like the twilight zone but I'm getting used to it now. I, I am starting to get a little desensitized to it. Now. My, my youngest brother lives in Turkey. He's there for 20 years. And he wears a CU shirt now. And, and he says in the last, everywhere he goes, people, can you get one of those in Switzerland? <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. So it's great. And, you know, that takes a little bit of the bad taste out of the mouth about Stanford. But, you know, like you said, Matt, as this continues to progress, the expectations ramp up. And so there's less of that 
just happy to be there type of oh, feeling. Yeah. And so that that's going to change. But if you just somehow get to six wins, if anybody's saying a negative thing, you just kind of deflect that because uh, of where this program was, you know, just a year ago. You can't, you can't go winless the rest of the year though. I think that's right. probably my right. only goal for this program. Get one. Like, it'd be great if you got two. just don't reel off a big old losing streak and right. really thunder a lot of the momentum that you had already built. Cause that would be super unfortunate, even though, even if you went winless, it would still be a win. It just would, it would really, it would leave a bad taste in your mouth heading into next year. And I think this program with, for all the good work that they put in deserve to, to find a way at least to make, at least to make it to five, if not six. Yeah. And you know, Matt, the, 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 People ask me, well, are we going to get to six and, and are we going to win any more games? And, and all I can answer is we're going to win because that's who Prime is, man. He's not going to go 0-5. The dude just doesn't do that. Man, I hope not, William. And I and I don't believe he's going to either. But I've also – this is the one thing. I, I made this mention to Brian actually a few weeks ago, Adam. I said, look, Prime has seen much more football and forgotten more football than I could ever know. But I promise you, we have seen more Pac-12 football than he has seen in the last decade. And this conference is tough down the stretch. These are some – these are some thorn in your side teams. Like, it's not like you've got a Cal in the mix here, you know, and right. even Arizona looks like they've started to really turn that ship around. So it's going to be a tough task. And I, I certainly think, again, when you have the great equalizer with Shadur Sanders, if you make things easier on him, if you if you help out not only your offensive line, but your defense with your running game, I think there's a lot of things that they can do and accomplish. And I wouldn't put, you know, uh, 500 you know to finish or or you know above 500 to finish out the year out of the realm of possibilities but they do need to make some adjustments right matt though having watched pac-12 as long as we have though we also know that the pac-12 cannibalizes itself every single year right and so colorado can be part of that process playing oh, yeah. four ranked teams <laughs> down the stretch so there's that part of it as well yeah absolutely that passed me a shin bone. That's right. That's right. That's right. It'll be interesting to end the year with with Washington State and Utah. Those are gonna. That's gonna be a tough finish, right? I mean, either either way, both those two two locations on the road have not been great friends to the Buffaloes since joining the conference over the years. And look, I I'm curious to know what your both your predictions are. And I think it's kind of hard to say right now. I think I feel comfortable. Brian said the other day to me, Brian said, I asked him, he goes, I feel really comfortable saying they're going to win one more time, kind of similar to what William said. And I said, look, I, based upon the end of the Stanford game, it was hard for me to get there last week, but I would be surprised if they didn't find a way to maybe sneak one out here just because they do have some elite talent on this team. And I guess I, I would answer that, you know, going into the TCU game, it was the surest thing in my life that we were going to win that game. I would, I just knew it. I just knew wow. it. And, 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 uh, you know, I knew TCU was going to come back down to earth and, and that, uh, I like Sonny Dykes as a coach, but he's a perennial eight win coach, you know, and he wasn't that guy from last year. So I feel the same way about these two wins. They're going to get six wins. All right. Then I trust you. Then why? Yeah, I, I'm not even saying anything else. I believe. And, 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 and I, and I couldn't tell you, don't ask me to go game by game. Cause if you have to go game by game, I'm going to come up with five losses. Right. But <laughs> they're, they're, they're going to come up with two wins and they're going to do it because 
we, we, and that's why we love the damn sport, man. Right, right, right. You know, right. And, and just give yourself day, a shot. Day, yeah. yeah, right. Any given Saturday, and especially even more so in, in college, you know, where where the there's differences in talent level. You know, you see crazy things, man. Crazy things happen. Guy catches the ball on the back of a guy's head. I mean, come on, man, that doesn't come, happen. You come back down twenty nine nothing. Right. Yeah, and so you know, uh, Stamper did it to us. We'll do it to somebody else. I got to stick with six and six. That was my initial prediction. So it's Good. close enough. At I want to cover a ball game. But holy crap, Colorado, you can't go out to Salt Lake City five and six because I've covered that too many times. <laughs> oh, my God. And it yeah. never ends well. Yeah, On Thanksgiving we weekend, by the way. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be like this with the Japanese sword. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This was That's a lot of fun, stuff. guys. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on gentlemen. I really appreciate being to have the opportunity to join you. Let's find a time and let's get that beer maybe after the season or something. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. We'll do it when we're getting ready for a bowl game because I go. want one more trip to travel. I want one more travel trip. That's right. Adam knows I enjoy, I enjoy my road trip. So I, I make a, I make a day of it for myself. Matt was just floating around on a pool for a whole 24 hour period as <laughs> at his Airbnb. It sounds like so, uh, he yeah. knows how to take advantage of these road trips. I'm looking for one thing to do. As I told you, Adam, I've got all of Friday in L.A. next week. Like, I'm trying to figure out what's – do I go see Lakers, Suns? I've covered the NBA for years. I've seen LeBron, not to be that guy, but I've seen LeBron and KD tons of times. For me, it's like, ah, let's. you're in California. Go do something different. So right. I'm open for suggestions. Manhattan Beach is usually where I end up going uh, from LAX. And uh, you, can, you don't even have to – be a big runner, but like just to walk along the beach or there's a boardwalk yeah. there. It's, it's a pretty awesome place. There's good places for lunch. You know, usually you, you don't check into your hotel till three or four. And so uh, that's usually where I head straight from LAX and just get a little beach vibes going. And didn't uh, Nate Nals close that deli out there. Didn't Nate Nals close. I think I read that. That's one of my favorite Jewish delis out there. Love to hit delis. Cause we don't have any good ones here in Colorado. Yeah. yeah we're not a solid. Food. Solid tacos and burritos though out there. And then what yeah. I usually do is uh I go find my hotel and then just avoid the traffic the rest of the time. Sounds like a good plan. I might I might go out to the coast in Malibu. That sounds like you know, you could be down there, you know, with the peasants at Manhattan Beach and I'll be <laughs> I'll be up there in Malibu. I'm staying closer to Pasadena though. I told you I'm flying into Burbank, so I don't even have to deal with LA because I as that is one city. If I never had to go back to it, I'd be just fine. Yeah, L.A. I, when I was back in the Navy, all my friends were African-American guys. We were stationed down in Miramar in San Diego. And when the riots were happening up in L.A., they were like, hey, man, let's go up to L.A. We'll take you up to L.A. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going up to L.A. with you guys. You're going to kick me out of the car and leave me there. You, you were stationed at Miramar? You were stationed yeah. at Top Gun? At Top Gun? Uh, I worked at Top Gun for one year. Before, prior to that, uh, I was, uh, I, well, I worked on F-14 fighters. So I was with a regular squadron for a while and then finished out for a year at Top Gun. That is the coolest thing that is. I will absolutely let you pay for the first round and I'll cover the second. I can't wait to pick your brain. My grandfather yeah. actually was a captain in the Navy. He was on the enterprise, I believe. Yeah, I was on the Lincoln. At USS there you Lincoln. go. There you go. Well, That's not so cool. only did we top gun, that would be not the only first we... line on my business card. I spent one year <laughs> working at top gun. Sorry. Adam, well, go you, ahead. Actually, you know, we, the wife and I rewatched the original Top Gun movie and, and there's, there's one scene in there where you can actually see my hangar and my squadron. So cool. And I, and we, and I paused it and I said, and that, cause I was in when that was filmed. I said, I said, I'm in that picture. 
That's I'm, so cool. I'm in that building. That is I'm my favorite movie. That is my favorite movie of all time. So I yeah, absolutely and, love and, that. And the second, the second one, you know, they retired the F-14s long ago, and we're kind of going off off the deep end here. But uh, all right. that second I love top, it. that second Top Gun brought tears to my eyes, especially when they got in the back when they got in that F-14 fighter, and I said, I know every switch in that plane. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, we'll save the rest for a beer, William. We'll save all the right. rest for a beer. And somebody, Those... somebody get somebody get some food to that buffalo. <laughs> those that tuned in today got uh-huh. bi-week reflections and they got to see the budding of a beautiful friendship and there you go that, i'm happy okay that sounds great i can't wait that's awesome it's always a pleasure always a pleasure thanks for having me gentlemen all right guys thank you and uh let's do this again once the season ends the three of us because this was a lot awesome. of fun we can yeah. we can uh revisit some of these uh topics as we get to the end of the the campaign sound good Hopefully that's in January. Hopefully that is in January. Sign me up for that, William. I'm with you. All right. Thanks, William. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, everybody out there for tuning in.